Our scripture for today comes from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Hear now the word of God. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This text is frankly helpful for any church because churches have people. And wherever you have people, those people make mistakes. People have misunderstandings. People have disagreements. These things happen wherever people are found. Where there are people, there are divisions. And this text is helpful. The church Paul is writing to is in the town of Corinth. And Corinth was one of the most significant cities in the Roman Empire. It had two thriving seaports. And because of that, they exported goods everywhere, to every corner. It was a meeting point for ideas and products and beliefs. But Corinth was also morally corrupt. It was full of lawlessness and paganism, and they worshipped the goddess Aphrodite. Calling someone a Corinthian was actually a slur about their immorality. We'd say, I wouldn't trust him further than I could throw him. And they'd say, that guy is a total Corinthian. And this is the place where the church is planted. Corinth is a town that needs to hear the gospel. And I know we all need the gospel. More than anything, we need God. But Corinth is a town where the spread of the gospel is going to be especially hard. And this is the place where the church is planted. Part of the gospel message is that God's people have been united together. We've been joined into one body, is an image Paul will use, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been filled with the fruit of the Spirit. We have actually been taken over by the power of God. And now we all follow the same God together. And that God is changing our priorities, our desires, our language, our behavior, until we all act more like Jesus together. So when this church in Corinth becomes defined by their divisions, Paul sees it as nothing less than a contradiction of the gospel. How can we say that we're being united in Christ and then be divided as a body? Paul asks the church, you'll see the word is appeal, but it means to beg. He begs the church to have no divisions among them, but to be united in the same mind and the same purpose. That mind and that purpose are Christ's. 
for the sake of their witness, be united as God's people for the sake of your witness, because when we are divided, division is our testimony. Our testimony is that God's people are divided. We aren't defined, first of all, by the fact that Christ died for all of us. We aren't defined by the Holy Spirit uniting us like the rest of the world's. We're defined by what divides us. If I said to you that this church has divisions right now, it wouldn't be a shot in the dark. It's not a stab at anybody. It's just like I said, where there are people, there are divisions. And as the pastors, we don't hear everything go, that goes on, but this is a church full of people. So we know there are divisions, disagreements, misunderstandings, hurt feelings, disappointments. Between old friends, it happens. Between new friends, it happens. In families and out of families, it happens. Wherever people are found, what defines the church isn't that we never disagree. It's where we look in the midst of our disagreement. When these divisions happen, there is a human tendency to choose sides. As you saw earlier, there's a human tendency to close ranks. And it's over anything. I once saw a group of teenagers walking out of an ice cream shop. And they were weaving through a crowd of people, and somehow one of them got bumped. And their triple scoop ice cream cone planted all over the nasty New York City sidewalk. And you can picture the despair on this teenager's face. The two closest to the incident, immediately, on instinct, looked at each other first. Dude, that wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't me, dude! And then they turned to their friends. You saw it wasn't me, right? She couldn't have seen, but you saw it was him, right? Their first instinct, to find their side. It wasn't me. And their second instinct is gather people to follow them. It's a human instinct. And in Corinth, everyone has chosen sides. Notice something, though. These aren't sides over silly things. They didn't choose sides over a spilled ice cream cone. They've chosen sides based on Christian teachers in case you didn't catch the names. One says, I belong to Paul. That's the guy who wrote this letter. Another says, I belong to Apollos, a famous Christian teacher at the time. One says, I belong to Cephas, also known as Peter, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And then some smart aleck in the corner says, yeah, well, I belong to Christ. They all choose sides over how this Christianity thing should look, and then they define their side, and then they gather their people, and they dig in. And Paul spends three verses laying it out. The church in Corinth has been divided by their disagreement over which Christian leader is the best, which Christian leader is the most like Christ. And then verse 13. I'm going to read this for you, and I want you to hear Paul's heartbreak. Has Christ been divided? Has Christ been divided? These Christians in Corinth have divided over disagreements about which Christian leader is the best. Verse 12 and 13 are meant to frame the irony of dividing over which Christian leader is most like Christ when Christ's desire is for his people to be united. Paul doesn't answer which leader is best. Notice that he doesn't say he's right and he's in this list. He doesn't even say the smart aleck with I belong to Christ is right because he's not. None of them are right because they have divided the body of Christ, and division itself means they're choosing something besides Christ. Paul asks, has Christ been divided? Because it seems that the Corinthians have divided the body of Christ. 
If we look at our church today, we have to admit, so have we. When churches split over disagreements, we divide the body of Christ. Did Christ decide that Baptists and Presbyterians shouldn't work together because we disagree about how baptism works? Or did we decide that? Did Christ decide that Protestants and Catholics should be divided because we disagree about the Pope? Or did we decide that? Did Christ decide to cut up his body into little pieces? Or did we? Has Christ been divided? Paul begs this church to be united in mind and purpose. Understand the difference here. Of course they will disagree. Of course some will prefer Paul and others Apollos and others Cephas. Some will try to claim they're the only ones not making a mistake by saying, I I follow Christ. Honestly, that's the most dangerous place to be. Convinced that your side is the only one following Christ. That they, whoever they are, can be summarized by a series of negative adjectives. Has Christ been divided? We look around. I think sometimes we have to say yes. This set of disagreements from this letter doesn't feel charged to us. I doubt anyone will stand up and walk out the back doors if I say, I prefer how Peter teaches to how Paul does. But let's be honest, we have things that divide us. In this church, there's always something over which we can disagree over what we believe, over how we like to do things, over how things should work, there are divisions. You know what? I don't mean to spill the beans, but there are people in this church who have different political beliefs. (laughs) I'm sure there are people in this church who wished we preached differently or people who wish we were older. I can't imagine there aren't people who would change parts of the liturgy or the music or what ministries we have. Some of us believe that the most important thing we do as Christians is we study, be it Sunday school or else. For others, it's service. If you're not out there being Christ's hands and feet, you missed it. We have different emphases. But in the midst of these differences, we have to ask ourselves, has Christ been divided? I think... The division has been glorified. The willingness to call someone out as an enemy. But when I look out at these pews, this is the miracle of the Spirit of God. That in the midst of our disagreements, we're sitting side by side, worshiping the same God. A wise person once said to me, I hope we can disagree without being disagreeable. I like that. I'm okay with us disagreeing. I'm not just okay with it. I think it's really important. It's a good thing. Ideas are honed and perfected in disagreement. Challenges are good. Critique leads to growth. Disagreeing is fine by me. Let's disagree. But I hope, as a church, we can disagree without being disagreeable. I pray our disagreements won't divide our church. Paul gets fed up when he hears that the church is dividing. He gets fed up because he knows that it ruins Christian witness. So Paul proposes a response to the problem of division. He proposes the need to present a united front, especially in the face of disagreement. And here's where he lands. And maybe we can all agree on this. All Christians should, at the very least, be united behind the message of the cross. When we divide the body of Christ over all our disagreements, Paul says we empty the cross of its power. And the the message of the cross is a message that saves us. 
The cross is central to Christian teaching, and we need to remember why. Why is teaching the message of the cross the unifying factor of our faith? In part, it's because the cross reminds us of the evil and the cruelty in our world. Not just the cruelty out there, but the cruelty that we experience even in our Christian lives. To get behind a pulpit and proclaim that God will bring you peace and serenity and you'll enjoy every minute of every day is to misrepresent the gospel. The Christian life has suffering in it. Things happen to us that are unfair. There's hurt, sadness, loss. The cross helps to remind us that there are just some evil and bad things in the world that will affect us. Jesus actually promises us that following him will sometimes lead us into suffering, not out of it. It's a religion where God's people carry crosses too. But there's another reason we preach the cross. Because the cross tells us what kind of person God is. God identifies with human suffering. God doesn't see our suffering from a distance and think, my gosh, that does look terrible. So sad. Glad I'm not there. God comes and suffers with us, beside us. That sympathy is so powerful. A God who sacrificed his life willingly on a cross for us that we may live It's foolish to follow this God. It's completely foolish. A God that died, a God that was crucified, that's weakness. It's foolish. It is. Our God died on a cross and promised that we will suffer for following him. Our God, his people, are defined by a cross, by his cross. By the darkest moment in human history, the moment where God's children killed him. That is foolishness. But no other religion claims a God that has shared in human suffering the way we do. It appears foolish. It appears weak, a stumbling block. But it is actually the most miraculous truth. God has seen our hurt and suffering, and God has come to join us in it. So we preach the cross because in the cross we see the how of who God is. And which one of us can decide to divide God's church when it's God's life that was put on the line for the church to begin with? It is Christ's blood that knit us together. It's God's spirit that brings us into one body. We don't get to divide the church after God sacrificed his very life to create it. So whether we disagree over how baptism works about the Pope, whether you vote Republican or Democrat or Independent, or you're in a country where you don't get to vote, Whether you worship with your hands up and shouting amen or in measured contemplation, whether you think first or serve first, my question is, could it be that the same Christ is in us all? It is. It is. In the midst of our human disagreement, it is as long as we stand together behind the power of the cross. Sometimes a child falls down and skins a knee or an elbow, and then... They run to their mother. And the mother picks up the child and says, And what is the oldest myth in the world? Let me kiss it and make it well. As if she had magic saliva. But she picks up the child and kisses the skin and the dirt, all of it, holds the child in her lap, and all is well. Did her kiss heal the cut? Magic saliva after all? No. 
But the kiss sitting in her lap made it well. To sit in the lap of love and see the mother crying, Mother, why are you crying? I'm the one who hurt my elbow. Because you're hurt, the mother says. I hurt. And that does more for a child than all the bandages and all the medicine in the world. Just sitting on the lap. What is the cross? Can I say it this way? It is to sit for a few minutes on the lap of God who hurts because you hurt. Paul said, I have to preach that. So do I. And which of us dares to tell Christ, sorry, your cross wasn't for them? Which of us dares to tell God who he can and cannot hold in his lap for a time as his beloved child, saying, because you hurt, I hurt? We have to preach that. So let his body never be divided. And let us cling to this testimony, united in the midst of our disagreement. Let us pray. Lord God, we remember the incredible sacrifice of your Son, who died on a cross and sent down the Spirit, that we might be united into your people. We ask that you would continue to guide us, lead us as we work out how to follow you faithfully in this time and place. Lord, send us out into the world with the courage to be your people, to be a light in dark times, to serve those in need, to proclaim your good news, to proclaim the truth of your salvation, to do all of this courageously. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.